Surprise! My name's KC. You're listening to the Sega Lounge. Welcome to the Sega Lounge, where we celebrate our love for all things Sega, including the games, the music, and the community. I'm your host, KC. Join me as I talk to different guests and learn more about their projects and passion for Sega. Hello everyone, welcome to the Sega Lounge episode 204. Let me be honest, this episode wasn't supposed to happen. Because this show relies so heavily on guests, there's always a moment or two every season when everything that can go wrong does go wrong, and planned interviews don't happen. I've done my best to record in advance, but sometimes life happens and things don't really go according to plan. So instead of not having a show this week, I made a last-minute decision of inviting a different guest. This week, I decided to record myself talking about how I became a Sega fan and sharing some of my memories. I guess this is over nine years late, as I probably should have introduced myself at some point. I was never really the focus of this show, though. It's all about the guests. Anyway, grab a drink and some snacks, sit down, relax, and join me as we go back all the way back to the early 1990s. You know, back in time to a totally different century. So let's start from the very beginning, shall we? My early memories of gaming are a bit fuzzy, and this means dates mentioned throughout this episode might be off, even if for the first time ever, I truly sat down and gave this topic some real thought to get everything as accurate as possible. Funnily enough, I've always sweared my first ever console was a Mega Drive, but in recent times I've remembered playing some sort of Pong variant and other games in what, judging by my hazy memory, could be an Atari 7800. Don't quote me on that. But it really doesn't matter, honestly. For what it's worth, it all truly started with the Mega Drive. Even before I got my own system, I remember seeing Sonic 1 at a friend of my dad's house and being blown away by the colors and sounds coming out of the TV. Finally, in 1992, I got my own Sega Mega Drive, the original one, not the Mega Drive 2. And it came bundled with a copy of Sonic the Hedgehog and Mega Games 1. See, here's an example of my memory betraying me. I always thought this happened in late 1991, but doing some research, I realized that's unlikely. Late 1992 is probably the time I got my console and first played Sonic the Hedgehog. I was familiar with the game, as I said, from watching that friend of my dad's play it, but also from playing it a few times at a game shop I had close to my dad's house. To give a bit of context on how this console was such a big deal for me, my parents got divorced when I was three years old and I only went over to my dad's house once every two weeks to spend a weekend with him and his new wife. 
He was the quote-unquote rich parent, or at least the one with money to spare to buy me a console. My mom was busy trying to make ends meet and take care of me and my sister. Why am I telling you this? Well, what this really means is I only got to play on the Mega Drive for a couple of days every two weeks. <laughs> Imagine the pain. The rest of the time, while at my mom's, I had to rely on my memory, which was better than, than it is now, I think, and draw entire acts of Sonic the Hedgehog while waiting to go back to my dad's house to play through the game again and again. So this definitely made playing any game I had for the Mega Drive even more important and precious. I truly had to make the most of my time with the system while still doing other things with my dad and friends that lived close by. But the way Sega games, and specifically, at least at first, the original Sonic the Hedgehog captured my imagination can't really be put into words. I was almost constantly thinking about playing the games I had, humming the tunes on my head, trying to figure out what to do to get past a challenging boss or area in a game, etc. It was a 24-7 affair, if I'm being honest. But going back to that first time I saw the Sega logo and heard that digitized voice saying the company's name, or moments later when Green Hill Zone and its colorful tones of blue and green graced my TV screen, and the sound effects and legendary music blared through the crappy speakers of that CRT TV, that's it right there, man. That's the stuff. Iconic, legendary, and unforgettable. Forget Pong, or those other much simpler games I probably played before. This was the future. with the amazing games, the fact that Sega actually had a presence, an official presence in my small country of Portugal through a partnership with the company Ecofilms, also contributed to make my passion for Sega even bigger. We had constant ads on TV, Sonic was everywhere, and we had two pivotal elements to any Portuguese Sega fan growing up in the early 90s, at least from my point of view an official magazine called Megaforce, and a club which you could be a part of and have a member card and everything. It was aptly called Club Sega, which I guess would translate to Sega Club. As a member myself, I got my own card and frequently got letters from Sonic himself promoting Sega games and events. In my tiny little mind, that was as cool as things got back in the day, and I remember proudly telling my friends I was a part of the club. Most of them weren't really big into video games at the time, so by today's standards, I was probably the coolest kid around. At least in my head. Nah, I really was the coolest. <laughs> so that's how it all started, and the passion for Sega games and its blue skies never really disappeared, and got me through some tough times in my young life. I distinctly remember looking at the back of the box of the Mega Drive and seeing several screenshots of games you could play at the time. Included with the system was also a poster of Sonic and on the back of it, again, a catalog of games you could play. That certainly sparked my imagination and opened a world of possibilities in terms of other games to try. One that always caught my eye due to its unusual box art was Toe Jam & Earl. 
sadly, I never really got to try it back in the day, but the memory of that box remains etched in my mind. A few years later, for reasons, I stopped going to my dad's and that also meant no more Mega Drive. By then, the Saturn was already a thing and we didn't have the money to spend on it, so I totally skipped that generation. But I always kept an eye on what was going on through magazines and a specific TV show dedicated to video games that aired in Portugal at the time. O Templo dos Jogos, or in English, the Temple of Games. While the Saturn was initially hailed as an amazing system in its early days, Nintendo and PlayStation's popularity eventually caught up with the Portuguese audience. An audience who was probably one of the most faithful to Sega in the world due to Nintendo's almost non-existence in an official capacity in the country in the early 90s, at least to the extent that Sega was present. But Sega's poor decisions eventually sealed the fate of the Saturn. And Nintendo and Sony took over as the most popular games companies over here as well. I would say the PlayStation finally became more of a mainstream system in a time when families had a little more of a disposable income, which meant my non-gamer friends eventually started playing games in the PS1 era. And I wasn't playing games at the time, ironically. But that would all change come 1999 with the European launch of the Dreamcast, an event I was eagerly anticipating and hoping to be a part of. In 1999, I started a professional course and earned some money. Some is probably more than what I earned, if I'm being honest. Anyway, it served to pay for some expenses I had commuting and eating out. But I managed to save just a little bit every month towards a Dreamcast. So by around April or May 2000, I was the proud owner of a brand new Sega Dreamcast. Yes, I bought it with a little help from my mom, but I eventually paid her back because that's how I roll. The very first console I ever bought with my own money and its first game, Sonic Adventure. like I was a little kid again seeing the familiar blue skies and my beloved blue hedgehog. I was back and this time for good. Nothing would stop me from buying every Sega console that followed the Dreamcast. I was proudly waving my Sega flag and I was here to stay. Ha! Yeah, not even naysayers like a specific classmate that made fun of me for liking Sega and claimed the Dreamcast would get destroyed by the PS2. No. Not even him would break my spirit. And my time with Sega's last console was indeed special. It was everything I wanted it to be and more. I broadened my gaming horizons during the Dreamcast era. Sonic was back and in glorious 3D. 
I discovered the magnificent Shenmue on that console. Echo the Dolphin was also back and in 3D. Hip-hop, graffiti, and roller skating were cool thanks to Jetset Radio. And Metropolis Street Racer got me driving powerful cars in London, San Francisco, and Tokyo. Those were the days. But soon after, it all came crashing down as Sega announced the discontinuation of the Dreamcast and its departure from the console manufacturing business. Wait, they're now making games for Nintendo consoles? What? Anyway, the console warrior in me was sad, disappointed, angry, perhaps, and I probably threw a couple of things at the bedroom wall. The young adult in me, though, figured it would be best to still have Sega games than to not have them at all. So I eventually bought a Game Boy Advance, a Dreamcast stand, I, I mean a PS2, and continued expanding my Sega gaming experience on those systems. After that, I never stopped and got most consoles released ever since. And while things were never the same again, and let's face it, probably never will be, I learned to appreciate the new Sega and its efforts to create some truly wonderful stuff. And the many duds that we also got along the way. I've been talking about a lot of things, but not really touching on the games themselves, have I? So let me share a few of the most memorable experiences I had. This will not be an extensive list, but just a few that popped into my head as I was preparing for this show. Starting with the Mega Drive, or Genesis, Sonic the Hedgehog truly changed my life back in what I think was 1992. But a few months later, in mid-1993, I got my hands on Sonic the Hedgehog 2, and that was even more amazing. The introduction of Tails, the possibility to play co-op with a friend, the sheer length of this sequel when compared to the first game, and how epic this adventure felt. To this day, it's probably my favorite Sonic game, even though I objectively admit it's not the best in the series. Oh, and Sonic 3 and Sonic and & Knuckles were two, or maybe one, amazing game as well. I remember the TV ads for the latter and how there was a whole thing about Sonic vs. Knuckles, a bit like what we saw for Sonic the Movie 2. Good times. Moving away from Sonic, it wasn't until a few years after I got my Mega Drive with Mega Games 1 that I came back to that pack of three games and truly learned to appreciate them, but especially Super Hang-On. What a brilliant racing game. And that's coming from someone who doesn't really enjoy racing games that much. Not that I care much about the original mode, but I love the pure arcade racing experience I got from that one. And the music. Mmm, so good. Let's talk Echo the Dolphin and how excited I was for it.
The game had a huge marketing campaign over here and it was tied to an ocean preservation and dolphin protection campaign. So I was really looking forward to getting my hands on the game. When I did, I didn't quite like it that much. I don't remember the language barrier being a factor, which surprises me with the game being a bit text heavy in English and with me being a kid. But the difficulty of it and the sense of claustrophobia I got from the breathing mechanic made me give up on Ed Anunziata's dolphin friend. Thanks to an ad on the aforementioned Megaforce magazine, I traded Echo for another game. Surely a much better one, right? Green Dog, the beached surfer dude. It certainly is a game. Anyway, I'd get back into Echo later through its sequel, Tides of Time, which I was able to beat. It was indeed easier and it led me to want to give the original another try. Later, I would also get Echo the Dolphin, Defender of the Future, which, despite the lack of involvement from Echo's creator, is still one of my favorite games of all time. Swimming in 3D, the story, the freedom of movement, it all made for such a special experience. Returning to Sega's 16-bit machine for a little bit, Ristar definitely deserves a special mention as one of the best platformers on the system, and one I was lucky enough to experience back in the day. This is a character I wish had more love, and maybe a new game. Same for Echo, really. Finally, a few brief mentions to close the chapter on the Mega Drive. World of Illusion, one of the best co-op experiences on the system in my opinion, and I love me some Donald Duck. Comic Zone, hard as nails, but an experience like no other. Streets of Rage, a game I never owned, but borrowed a few times from a friend along with Golden Axe. One of the few games I got to play with my dad and still my favorite in the series. ATP Tour. My dad was a huge tennis fan and passed that love on to me. ATP Tour was, along with Streets of Rage, one of the few games I played with him and this was by far the one we played the most. Still an enjoyable tennis experience to this day. A couple more platformers to close this list. Aladdin. Oh, I remember not really being too much into the film when I saw it, but I indeed loved the game to bits. Played it so many times and still do from time to time. And finally, Sparkster. While I'd never played the original Rocket Knight Adventures back in the day, I remember seeing Sparkster in a magazine and thinking to myself, I really need to get this game. So I actually tried to save some of the little bits of money that my dad gave to me every now and then. And at some point before going on holiday to the south of Portugal, he allowed me to go to a game shop and buy Sparkster. That's one of the best memories I have of playing on my Mega Drive while on vacation. Moving on to the Dreamcast years, let's once again start with the usual suspect, Sonic. Sonic Adventure is probably still my favorite 3D Sonic game. The one I feel has aged better than the rest of them. I know this is probably an unpopular opinion, a hot take if you will, but hey, this is my Sega story after all. That first playthrough back in the year 2000 was really special. 
And even if I do appreciate some of the stories more than others, I feel like it's pretty much a great experience all around and a game I do enjoy coming back to from time to time. Some people say Sonic didn't transition very well to 3D. I say, play Sonic Adventure and shut up. Can't think of a better transition than that. The problems actually started after the transition, in my opinion. Anyway, more games. Jet Set Radio, what a special little game. When I got to know through a copy of the DC UK magazine I bought at a random time in my life. I still remember the day I bought this game because I couldn't find it anywhere until I went to a bookstore I knew had a Dreamcast kiosk for some reason. I went back there several times after that, obviously. The music, cel-shaded graphics and amazing gameplay blew my mind and again, this looked, sounded and felt like the Sega that I knew and loved. Again, one that I still play regularly. Metropolis Street Racer, MSR, another one I got from that bookstore. I can't really remember how I learned about it or why I wanted to buy it, but I do remember thinking it looked cool. I guess I wanted to expand my library and I just went for a game in a genre I'm not that fond of. What an amazing game. Brilliant and varied soundtrack by Richard Jakes, including some vocal tracks by the lovely TJ Davis, Beautiful graphics, amazing recreations of actual locations in London, Tokyo, and San Francisco. And even if it was quite challenging, the kudos system made me want to keep playing and unlock more cars. And I was really into playing at different times to see the changes in scenery, since the game used the Dreamcast's internal clock to determine the time of day in each city. And that was amazing to me at the time. Nothing special today, but amazing at the time. Virtua Tennis. As previously mentioned, I'm a big tennis fan. And being able to get this on my Dreamcast was a dream. Ha, come true. There was an arcade close to my school at the time, and one of the games there was indeed Virtua Tennis. Having that same experience at home was nothing short of amazing. Virtual Tennis is still one of my favorite series and one that is aching for a comeback since it's been too long since the last one. And that's it, right? Ha! No. There's still one very big piece of the puzzle missing. The big one, you could say. Shenmue. This is indeed the big one, the number one. My favorite Sega game of all time. I was such a massive Sonic fan that this truly had to be special in order to take the top spot on my list. I fought against getting Shenmue for a while. It looked from magazine screenshots and previews like it wasn't my kind of game. Too realistic but it was proudly displayed at a game shop I frequented back then. And at one point, I just had to buy it. September 2001. As with many games I've mentioned today, I clearly remember the first time I booted the Dreamcast with Disc 1 in it. That opening was nothing short of groundbreaking. 
and the more I played through the game, the more enthralled I got by its story and its world. I truly felt like I was living in a small town in 1986 Japan. Everyone had its routine, I could talk to people, enter almost every shop, knock on every door, and do mundane things like drink an assortment of beverages, get my daily allowance, buy some capsule toys, or play classic Sega games at the arcade. Sure, the goal is to advance the story, but the true appeal of Shenmue is to get lost in its detailed world. Shenmue 2 expanded on the formula of the original and objectively improved on many of its systems. The action is set in Hong Kong and Guilin, making it much bigger in scope than its predecessor. I still like the original a little bit more, but Shenmue 2 is, objectively speaking, probably the best Dreamcast game of all time. Truly, Yu Suzuki's masterpiece. And that's saying a lot when you think about how influential the man was to modern gaming and the number of classics he created for Sega. No game or game series had as lasting an impact on me as Shenmue. It helped shape my future taste in games, stories, music, broadened my horizons in many ways, and its influence on my life is even bigger than I can put into words. It's no wonder it's got such a passionate and lasting fan base around the world, and a community that's still actively fighting to get to conclusion to its story. Not many things would bring as much joy to me as seeing that happen as well. Even though I had a Mega Drive and then skipped everything until the Dreamcast, there are still a couple of Saturn and also some arcade titles that completely shaped who I am as a gamer and as a Sega fan. For example, on the Saturn, while I never owned one, I remember some games that really appealed to me and made me feel like Sega was indeed still on top of the world. Here in Portugal, it was actually common to find kiosks at shopping malls and supermarkets where you could actually try some Saturn games. You could actually play the Saturn and try out some of the demos that they had available there for you to play. Two of them that I actually tried a few times and often saw other people playing were Panzer Dragoon, which was not really, I think, at the time what I would consider a KC game, but something that really appealed to me on uh, account of the graphics and how it looked and sounded. And the second one was Baku Baku Animal. I'm not very big into puzzle games. I'm really crap at them. But then again, I'm crap at games in general. Anyway, even if I'm not the biggest puzzle game player around, I truly enjoyed the graphics of Baku Baku Animal, the animations of the animals eating the different kinds of foods, and that's something that I always treasure when I think about the Saturn back in the day. Obviously, not games I played to completion back in the day, but games that marked me and I still think about when I remember the Saturn in the 90s. In terms of arcade games, there's a big one. There's one that to this day is still the one, the arcade game, Daytona USA.
as I said before, there was a place next to or very close to my school at one point, and there was a four-player Daytona USA set up there. So many times, me and my classmates went there and played a few rounds of Daytona USA. That's still the quintessential arcade experience from Sega from my point of view and a game that has is so amazing it's so iconic that you really can't escape from it when you think about Sega. The second one is Outrun. Yes, I ran into Outrun a few times, uh, you know, in random places in Portugal and Outrun is truly a masterpiece as well. Another one of those Yu Suzuki games that is just amazing. Later in life, I would get Outrun 2006 coast to coast. I would play Outrun 2 on the arcades as well, but that original experience with Outrun on the arcades is a truly special one that I still think about many times. A couple of special mentions as well. Sega Rally 2, another machine we had at that place next or close to our school. Played it several times. Virtua Tennis, which I mentioned before. That was something special because I had the game at home at some point. I could practice and then beat my friends at it at lunchtime. That was special. Oh, and one final one that I was almost forgetting. Scud Race. Yes, Scud Race. We had Scud Race at that place. And a few years back, maybe three or four years back, I remember finding it again in another random, very hidden place in Portugal when I was traveling. And it brought back so many memories. I remember my wife just asking, what's wrong? Oh, I just saw a scud race. I'm so happy. And I played it for a few rounds and it was amazing. So, of course, not being the biggest of arcade gamers in the world, I still treasure my time with a handful of Sega titles that really also shaped who I am as a Sega fan. It's funny how things are in current times and how biased games media and the general public are towards the more popular systems and companies, i.e. the ones who remain in the console business, especially Nintendo and Sony. Oftentimes, Sega's critical importance to the success of those very consoles and their games is overlooked or completely denied by the general public and opinion makers in the gaming scene. I guess that's a product of Sega's fall from grace in the late 90s, early 2000s. A product of them leaving the console business to become a third-party developer. A product of their irregular performance in that area as well, with very inconsistent results in putting out good quality hit games. But perhaps most of all, it's a product of an ongoing fanboy and console warrior mentality which prevents a big slice of the gaming population from acknowledging the importance and achievements of their favorite brand's competitors. A bit of research will allow you to understand the importance of Sega in advancing the medium 
in things like appealing to a broader demographic, gaming online, 3D graphics, and much more. Much more knowledgeable people than I have discussed and documented this at length, be it in websites, blogs, podcasts, or videos. Just look it up. In the end, though, this is my take on this. The legacy of Sega will never be how many consoles or games it sold, or how popular it is compared to other video game companies. Its true legacy is tied to the feelings we have when we think of it. Those precious memories, the smells, noises, colors, the ones we associate with playing certain games while growing up, the amazing music that we still find ourselves humming for no reason. That's Sega's legacy, and it's still alive in those like you and I who are still Sega fans. I don't really consider myself to be particularly biased. I can objectively point out Sega's faults and criticize them, and I'm happy to celebrate other companies' successes and enjoy their games. The better the games everyone makes, the better it is for us as gamers. That said, I know I'm a bit biased towards Sega, even when I don't realize it. I guess that's a product of my own nostalgia. To be completely honest, if I wasn't a Sega fan, I would have discovered the Valkyrie Chronicles or Like a Dragon series, which I think are my favorite modern Sega franchises. So yeah, it's good that I'm a bit biased and still check out Sega games when they come out. Let's face it, the Sega we have now is not the Sega I grew up with. I do miss that feeling of innovation, of seeing them take risks by creating games others wouldn't even dream of. I miss some of the classic franchises that I grew up with, many of which I still play often and try to get some retro achievements for. Shout out to the Retro Achievements Project. We've seen current-day Sega revisiting some of its classic IPs, even if oftentimes only by re-releasing them. But it's a start. I am optimistic about the future of Sonic, for example. I feel like for the first time in forever, both 2D and 3D Sonic are going in the right direction, with Sonic Frontiers and Sonic Superstars being good examples of what I personally would like to see Sega do more of in the future. The trend of outsourcing some of its classic series has produced mixed results, yes, but Streets of Rage 4 and Sonic Mania are two perfect examples of what can happen when the right kind of people are allowed to work on the franchises they love with Sega's blessing. And Like a Dragon is, apart from Sonic, the company's flagship property. And that's still going from strength to strength. Where am I going with this? I guess what I'm trying to say is, Sega changed, but we have to acknowledge video games are a business. We're not always going to get what we want from video game companies for various reasons, but seeing Sega trying to do better to some extent is encouraging. And recent projects actually remind me of the feelings I had growing up with their old games. I can only hope the recent news of them working on their classic IPs, even if that means making movies out of them, brings back some old favorites and in a way that puts a smile on this old man's face. I'm almost 40 at this point, and while it would be easy to just completely focus on the past, I'm actually excited by Sega's current efforts. As I said, Like a Dragon is an amazing franchise that shows no signs of dying anytime soon. I'd love to have more Valkyrie Chronicles in the future. 
I'm still holding out hope for the conclusion of Shenmue's story, even if Sega's only role in that is giving its blessing to Yu Suzuki. Streets of Rage seems to have had a fitting revival, and maybe we'll see more of it in the future, who knows? Sonic's in a better shape than before. The Persona series is alive and well, which is a good example of how Sega chose wisely in acquiring Atlas. And there's also that super game project, whatever that is. Oh, and the brilliant homebrew and fan translation community who's worked so hard to give us even more wonderful experiences on Sega hardware. Sure, memories are great, and it was really fun to sit down and think about everything I mentioned on this episode. But I don't want to be stuck in the past or just be a Sega fanboy. I hope you've enjoyed this trip down memory lane. Thank you so much for taking it with me. I guess having no guests for this week turned out to be a blessing in disguise, as it allowed to share this story with you. There's more to tell, of course. There are more games, more details, and even a time period I only mentioned briefly, the post-Dreamcast era. If you'd like me to do this again some other time, let me know. Drop me a line on X, Instagram, or Blue Sky, or email me at podcast at thesegalounge.com. I'd love to hear from you. My love for Sega is also a love for the vibrant and wonderful community surrounding the company and its games. People with, I think, much more interesting stories than mine and with amazing projects to share. We're one month away from ending another season of the show, but stay tuned for my chats with some of those people in the coming weeks. Thank you so, so much for listening to a very different episode of the Sega Lounge. There's a lot of new stuff to play, Sega stuff, so do enjoy those games and have a wonderful week. I'll see you all next time. Bye-bye. The Sega Lounge, hosted by me, KC, and part of Radio Sega's network of live shows and podcasts. Theme song and incidental music by OSC. Find them at opusciencecollective.bandcamp.com. Got any suggestions? Drop me an email to podcast at thesegalounge.com. Find us at The Sega Lounge on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find previous episodes of the show by going to thesegalounge.com and wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. A Mixed On Productions podcast.